Athletic. Right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from the Athletic. Centuries up for Mo and Allison as Liverpool make it six on the bounce. I'm here with James Pearce and Andy Jones. We'll get into the chase for Champions League football, get the lowdown on the man the Reds wanted a sporting director and more. But first, those three words. Andy, I'm going to give it to you this week. <laughs> uh, I mean, to be honest, I've got many words about Anthony Taylor's performance at the weekend, but I'll keep them to myself just in case the FA are listening. <laughs> uh, don't want any fines coming my way. Um, but I think I'll go with putting pressure on. I'm putting pressure on? Well, yeah. it's an, um, Manchester United didn't seem to respond very well to the pressure, did they? James, your three words. Salah the machine. Nah, that works for me. Let's see what they're saying on the Walk On Podcast Facebook group. Jay Murphy, winning is winning. Jane Stacy, coronation for Salah. Rob Mills, go you hammers. Steve Riley, three more wins. I was a little bit underwhelmed by the performance. But, you know, I mean, you've got to say, any win and run's a good win and run, hasn't it? You know, so what would my three words be? Just keep winning. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. Van Dijk, Okay, the Reds are on the march. Are we convinced? Do these underwhelming performances matter, James? No, no. I think when you've been <laughs> um, when you've been producing the kind of performances that Liverpool did for so much of this season, you, you can't be turning your nose up at the manner of victories, especially at the back end of the season when it, it just is all about getting the job done. And finally, there is there is some momentum there, and you're right. It's not it's not like suddenly everything's clicked, and you, you go, "Wow, you know, Liverpool are back." It's it's not that, is it? But then I don't think anyone seriously thought that, that was possible. Anyway, we, we know that there's some major surgery needed to that squad in the summer. Klopp, to his credit, has rejigged things tactically and and found a way to get Liverpool going again, and especially to get Trent Alexander Arnold going again. And they do look you know, more resilient as well than than they have done for so much of this season. And together, really, the last two games certainly won't live long in the memory banks, the, those visits of Fulham and Brentford. But two wins, two clean sheets. And um, yeah, it, it was, it was, it, the Saturday for me was, it was, I mean, it was a dreadful game, like hampered by Anthony Taylor's refereeing. But also, you've got to give Liverpool a lot of credit for how they defended because, you know, there, there were so many set pieces. But Allison was very rarely troubled. Yeah, I mean, he's just been brilliant, hasn't he? But Salah, Andy, you know, the goal, it, he's brilliant, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's our king, isn't he? And, and, and that's the thing you need in, in these times when, you know, it's not it's not all clicking and you, you're trying to find your way through games. This is when you need your best players to be stepping up. And we've seen that with Trent in terms of his assist numbers and his, his ability to dominate the game. And then you've got Mo, who's... You know, he's just scoring every time, he, particularly at Anfield, every time he steps on the pitch at nine and on the bounce now, isn't it, where he scored at Anfield. It's about being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, he's just got that knack to 
to be able to, no matter what, just just keep keep scoring goals and keep breaking records. I, I, I love scruffy goals. His first touch, <laughs> you know, yeah, he's blowing it, he's blowing it, and then the second touch, I love that. Yeah, um, it, it is. It, it, as, as long as it does go in on that second touch, I mean, like, Cody Gakpo was finishing the second half when he did a bit of defending for Brentford. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's there some similarity to that a little bit, wasn't there, with, with Salah's first touch, but um, now he recovered and he's just got that, you know, that that quick turn of pace, hasn't he, to just get in front of, get first to balls like that um, and then just turn them home. And yeah, it's, you just need your big players to step up in, in those moments where you are struggling a little bit. And yeah, and he's, he's proven the match in it again. Yeah, we must mention here that the booing of the national anthem and the singing through it, well, we don't need to talk too much about it. We talked an awful lot about it on last Thursday's pod. And if go and listen to that, we explain the reasons for it. And in fact, there's a transcript of it on the Athletic um, Liverpool feed on the, on the website. So go and do that, have a listen. But yeah, it, it happens and it will continue to happen. And as I say, if you need to learn about it, Last Thursday's pod is the place to go. Well, the bigger thing is, the more important thing than the coronation is Liverpool's, well, Liverpool's accession to the Champions League. James, is that going to happen? <laughs> I think a week ago, I think we were talking about it and we said, I think I said oh, it must be like a 5% chance or something. I think, I think that's probably crept up to about 15, maybe even 20% maybe. Yeah, there's a little bit of hope, isn't there? As, as, as we said, like Liverpool just had to try and get to 71 points. We know that, you know, you, you look back over the last four or five years and traditionally that has been enough. It didn't it didn't look like 71 would be enough and I'm still not convinced that it will be. But yeah, the, the, this winning streak has just cranked up a bit of pressure, hasn't it? Um, where it didn't look as if that was going to be possible because there was just so much ground to, to make up. And then with the results going Liverpool's way, on Sunday, you do just suddenly think, well, hang on a minute. There is a race where they didn't, it didn't look like there was one. And then you look at the remaining fixtures. I mean, I mean, I, I would still expect Man United to to finish ahead of Liverpool just because of the fixtures, really. Like as, as bad as they've been away from home consistently, you know, they've got Wolves at home, Chelsea at home, Fulham at home. And they win all three, then Liverpool can't finish above them. So you need a bit of an implosion there. And then Newcastle, I think Newcastle's, I think their their fixtures are interesting because I think what well, they got Leeds away, which, you know, that is a huge, huge game for, for Leeds United. And then I think, I think they've got Brighton and, and Leicester visiting St. James's. So um, it's just made it interesting, hasn't it? I don't think it's anything more than that at the minute. Yeah. Well, how sweet would it be, Andy, to leapfrog Manchester United? That would be, yeah, that, that would be a, a summer gift to us all, wouldn't it? <laughs> I know, yeah. It's, it, I mean, it, it would be brilliant because when you, when you compare sort of how the opinion of the two different seasons, so Liverpool have, have had one of the worst for, for years and then United and, and Ten Hag have, been you know widely praised I'd, I'd say for you know the job he he was doing and how he turned it around and how United were looking so comfortable of of making top four and they've obviously won a cup as well so then to 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 pip them would be just really funny I think <laughs> more than anything else and it would make all of the the downs we've had this season all seem worth it for me James the big worry is that Brighton will come from behind and pass us. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. You you certainly can't discount that when you 
especially when you look at the, the manner in which they played and ultimately beat Man United dramatically the other day. So, um, so yeah, Liverpool have just got to, just got to keep going, haven't they? I think I think that Liverpool have got the work out, just making sure that they get to seventy one points because you know that's you know that the King Power is going to be bouncing next Monday night with you know that's that's such a big game for Leicester City in terms of their survival bid. And as we said, Liverpool are on this six match winning run, but you know it hasn't been completely convincing. I still think Leicester away could be tricky. You know, Villa at home. You'd expect Liverpool to 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 get the job done, especially Villa seem to have just gone off the boil a little bit the last week or two, and then Southampton away on the last day, barring a miracle, Southampton will be will be relegated by then. So um, yeah, it's 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 just made it interesting. Hasn't it? it was funny because I was speaking to someone on Saturday saying, you know, this will be the first season under Klopp where Liverpool haven't had anything riding on the final day because it it just felt like the season was petering out and that yeah it was great that they generated a bit of momentum but it was more about positivity going into the summer than actually salvaging something important from the season but now you think well maybe maybe that trip to the south coast for Southampton away on the last day might be a bit more interesting than I thought. Andy I mean Everton got a draw at Leicester we should beat Leicester Um, and do we really want to do the Blues a (laughs) favour? <laughs> well, yeah. Again, it goes back to that, that question, doesn't it? Do you want a Merseyside derby next season? Um, some would say, you know, do you want six points next season? But you know, I'm, <laughs> the derby's, um, you know, it's one of them games that you, you always look for, isn't it? So it's whether whether you wouldn't mind the season off that, and who knows, maybe a few seasons, depending on what Everton's fortunes were if they were to go down. But I think Le- Leicester's a really interesting one because Everton could have scored about five or six, and for the Sean Dyche side to have nearly scored five or six in a game is. It's pretty impressive. I mean, I watched them for, for three years and I don't, they scored four once, I think, but never really looked like fives or sixes. And it was it was down to Leicester's goalie, really, that, that sort of prevented it. So there's going to be opportunity, you know, Liverpool, Leicester are defensively are, are wide open so that, you know, Liverpool have got, should, with their attack on firepower they've got at the moment, you know, have, you know create plenty of opportunities. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's one of those games, isn't it, at the end of the season where results you can sort any sort of form you can sort of put out the window when it comes to these types of games when it's a, a team down the bottom because they can produce anything at any point. Yeah, we're we're a bit wide open at the back as well, aren't we <laughs> at times? Allison James, player of the year, without a doubt. Um saved us so many times. In fact, he is this unbeaten run, isn't he? Yeah, he's been absolutely immense, hasn't he? In in a season when, you know, so many key personnel have endured kind of personal crises in terms of their form, he has absolutely stood tall. And, you know, where where would Liverpool have been without him? And you think, you know, not so much actually in recent weeks, but obviously earlier on in the season, exposed so often, like because Liverpool have just been so open, um, the lack of protection afforded to him. And I think, I think you know, the Opta stats show that he's was it nine or ten goals. I think they think Liverpool should have conceded probably more than they have done. And that's that's obviously down to his heroics and yeah it was interesting speaking to Virgil van Dijk about him after the game on on the weekend and he was talking about you know this presence that he has and how yeah you admire his qualities as a goalkeeper but having him behind him having him behind you on the pitch he was saying you know it's it's that it's that presence in terms of that trust factor that you know you've got someone who can who can bail the team out when needed and talked about how important he is in terms of how good he is with his feet in terms of building attacks and We've seen that time and time again. And he said, you know, behind the scenes, you know, he's a real leader in terms of setting the example for others to follow on a daily basis. So, um, yeah, he's he's just been 
been incredible, hasn't he? And, you know, to, to get to 100 clean sheets, and it was a nice moment. Obviously, Klopp did a presentation to him in the dressing room after giving him a shirt with with 100 and his name on the back. And, um, yeah, look, looking forward to seeing him keep the next 100. Yeah, he's been one of the great, great, goalkeepers in Liverpool's history and we've had some plenty of uh, top class goalkeepers but he, he is something special isn't he Andy? He is yeah it's, you know his ability to as, as James mentioned that you know with his feet for one but also you know we, we touched on sort of his I think in the past his, his one-on-one ability to make himself so big to look like the favourite in those situations when goalkeepers you know, should never be the favourite when it's one-on-one and, and a player's running through. Um, and I, I mean, Klopp said after the Fulham game, didn't he, that, you know, Alisson was uh, quite emotional that he'd finally kept the clean sheet and um, close to tears, I think he said. And I think some of Liverpool's defending has, has sort of brought all of us close to tears at times this season because um, <laughs> <laughs> of how bad it's been. But, you know, it, it was it was really good. To, you know, it, it is good for him to, because they, they mean so much for, to goalkeepers, those clean sheets, don't they? They are as, as much as, as goal scorers scoring goals. And yeah, it's, it's it's good to see Liverpool getting things right on that, that end of the pitch. It's still not perfect, but when you've got someone like him in goal, it doesn't have to make it easier to be close to perfect. Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic, along with James Pearce. And it's a pleasure to welcome The Athletic's German football expert, Raphael Honigstein, to the pod. Rafa, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Tony. How are you? Oh, well, good. All good. Even better for seeing you. It's, um, well, I think the first thing we need to talk about, obviously, is Jörg Schmatke. Is I pronounced that right? Schmatke. Close enough, Tony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as you know, there is an injunction forbidding me for uh, attempting to pronounce foreign names. But he's the man that the Reds are in talks with to replace Julian Ward as sporting director. Come on, Rafa, tell us about him. So Jörg Schmatke is uh, what's known as a child of the Bundesliga, someone who's been around for so long that he's become part of the fabric of German football. He was a player at Fortuna Düsseldorf and Freiburg, and then in 2001 he became sporting director at Alemannia Aachen, the second division, really successful, took them up to all the way to the Europa League or UEFA Cup at the time, then repeated the trick at Hanover and Köln, and finished his uh, stint at Wolfsburg, who were relegation battlers when he when he came in, and he took them back into the Champions League. So success wherever he's been, uh, not necessarily at the highest level, but at a decent level in German football, uh, hugely experienced, uh, but also known for uh, having a huge public profile, which at times was almost sort of comically a bad-tempered, I think it was a bit of an act, a bit of a persona that he adopted. But I think it explains why in Germany, a lot of people were quite incredulous when they heard that Schmatke would would be considered for the sports director job at Liverpool because he, I think, is seen as slightly old-school and a bit of a traditionalist, which we don't really associate with Liverpool when it comes to their transfer market. But Klopp, obviously, has seen something in him that he likes, I'm sure that would have been it would have been his suggestion. They uh, clearly have some kind of relationship, although they've never worked together. Uh, there's links through uh, Marcosica, the the uh, agent of Jurgen Klopp, who 
uh, is also the agent for Florian Kofield, who was a coach working underneath Schmatke at Wolfsburg. So uh, they would have uh, got to know each other quite well if they didn't before. And he obviously feels that this is the kind of person who will help him at a moment when Liverpool are a little bit thin uh, when it comes to expertise in the transfer market. Obviously, they need a replacement. There's been chaos in the recruitment area. And this is a really crucial role. James, did it come out of the blue to you? <laughs> yeah, it certainly did. Yeah, yeah. He's certainly not a name that I'd heard mentioned regarding that that vacancy. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I asked Klopp about the, the search for a new sporting director a couple of weeks ago because you know when you think it has been a long, drawn out process when you consider that you know it was November when Julian Ward handed in his notice. Um, obviously, the fact that he was staying in the post until the end of the season, not going on gardening leave, meant you know they had. They had time to ensure they got the right person through the door. But of course, with the clock ticking and that that, gem, that, that summer transfer window being so important for the club, you, you're thinking, well, they need, need to do something and, and pretty fast. And I know senior figures at the club have said, you know, there's no rush because you know, Mike Gordon, the FSG president, is now back very much hands-on again. You know, Dave Fallows and Barry Hunt are the two kind of chief scouts play a part in negotiations as well. But you still need that sporting director at the top of it all. Because even Klopp himself, when I asked him about it, he said, he, he said, you know, it's not something that he wants to take on. He doesn't want to be dealing with agents on a daily basis. He doesn't want to be negotiating, whether that's transfer deals or contract renewals. And, um, and, that, and obviously that sporting director is a key link between all the different departments, you know, the sports science, the medical, uh, the fitness department. So, you know, knitting it all together. So, um, yeah, you know, I know Liverpool at the minute have stressed it's just discussions with this guy and and not a firm agreement in place. But um, yeah, he's certainly the the front runner and a pretty surprised front runner at that. Yeah, Rafa, I, I read somewhere that uh, him and Klopp share a taste in music, heavy metal bands. But the, the big question, the, the more important question is, is, is he going to fit in with the data-driven approach that has been a huge part of Fenway Sports Group's strategy? Well, the Tortenhausen is apparently the band that links them. And I don't think that can be really described as heavy metal, more, more light to medium metal. Um, <laughs> as far as rock is concerned, um, does he fit in with with a strategy? It's not easy to say, easy to answer, because he has been very good when it comes to identifying talent that isn't necessarily the obvious person to buy. So he has been smart. Uh, he has been written about in the book by a colleague of mine, Christoph Biermann, uh, called Football Hackers, who looked at Mavericks doing things differently. And he felt that Schmatke is sufficiently different to warrant that kind of um, angle, if you will. So he's not, despite his his age and despite being around for a long time, he's not somebody who will just buy players because he happens to know the agent or seen a DVD that he likes. He is quite conscientious and his son worked as a head scout at Wolfsburg. Maybe he will be involved as well at Liverpool. We'll, we'll, we'll have to find out if this indeed comes to pass. So I don't see why why he wouldn't fit in. Where I think I have uh, more doubt as far as the, the fit is concerned is whether he can be the person knitting it all together. I see him more, um, unlike his role in Germany, where he was really the managing director for everything football-related, 
I think this could be more targeted. This could be more confined to the transfer market, to helping Klopp and the existing uh, regime with the stuff that's perhaps not functioning quite so well at the moment when it comes to negotiating, etc. I think it'd be harder for him as a German coming in and linking all these different departments together from scratch nearly. So maybe they'll still be looking at somebody who can do that job then maybe doesn't entail all the transfer dealings. That for me would be more logical, but um, we'll have to see how it shakes out. Well, he appears to be a combustible character. How do you see that working with Klopp, who is, um, can be a little bit excitable at times? <laughs> yeah, that's going to be one of the interesting things to see. Even the coaches that he did get along with well, they had huge clashes because he is very forthright and he has certain opinions. And also the power dynamic is different in Germany. In Germany, sporting directors, they run the club and they hire and fire managers. Here in the Premier League, you have sporting directors, but they almost sort of come as part of the management team. And often the manager is there first and then a sporting director gets hired that works with the manager. So because the sporting director in Germany is the most powerful figure, he was in a position to criticize managers publicly to disagree with them, to have often different views. Managers, by definition, have more of a short-term view on a transfer market. They need people immediately. They don't really care how much it costs. They don't really care what it means five years down the line when they're no longer there. But uh, sporting directors in Germany take a much uh, more strategic view. And very often, his view and the coach's view didn't align. And he was very forthright and very open about making these conflicts quite public. And I'm sure that uh, Klopp doesn't go into this blindly and will understand that there will probably some degree of fighting and conflict. But the same, it must be said, happened with Klopp and, and other people that he worked with in Germany, including uh, Zarko Buvac, who, until he departed for, for the best part of uh, 15 years, was always somebody that he would also spar with, you know, and, and have very frank and loud exchanges at times. So I think Klopp isn't shy to to work in that manner. But ideally, of course, you want a slightly smoother process. Challenging managers is, is, is a good thing, I think, James. Um, and there's been a little bit of a feeling, hasn't there, that too much, too much power has been centred on Klopp and it needs, needs to be taken off and to release a little bit of the pressure. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with a bit of friction, is there? I think that was why the dynamic worked so well between Klopp and Michael Edwards, because Michael Edwards quite often would say no. Like it wasn't, it, it was never kind of a, like a, a yes man situation where it was like, you know, Klopp just tells him what to do and he, he goes and does it. And that was, you know, they, they weren't particularly close. They wouldn't socialize kind of away from Melbourne, it was at the time, I guess. And, and then the AXA, but the dynamic worked really well between them. And, you know, for example, you know, an example, you know, Genie Wijnaldum would have probably got the new contract that he wanted if that had been down solely to Klopp. But it was Michael Edwards was like, well, no, this does not make sense for the club. And so you need you need a strong personality. I, I, I look upon that as a good thing if if Schmadke is the is the guy to to come in because um, you know that that's all part of a robust decision making process that people make their voices heard and you know and, and people are. Are able to to voice their opinions and 
So, yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, I've, I've got a question for Rafa. I mean, Rafa, a lot of Liverpool fans I've seen reacting to it have, have kind of maybe turned their nose up a little bit at the list of clubs he's worked at previously because it, you, know, you wouldn't say any of them are anywhere near Liverpool's level. And, of course, you know, we're talking about a sporting director coming in and you know, potentially negotiating 60, 70, 80 million pound deals this summer. Would, would that concern you at all? I wouldn't call it a concern, but of course it is something new for him. He hasn't worked at that level before. He hasn't worked with players that can improve or should improve a Liverpool team. He's worked with players that can improve Wolfsburg, work with player with Vard Weghorst or the, the, the Matcha brothers. They're very decent players, but not quite at that level. I've asked Christoph about this this morning uh, because he knows him really well. And he said, look, if somebody has an eye for talent and quality, the restriction is not that he doesn't know more quality when he sees it. It's the restriction has always been financial. Mm. So in his view, there's absolutely no reason why somebody who's got good eye for, for players for a certain budget will not be finding even better players for, for more budget. So I think we have to wait and see. I understand why Liverpool fans are not overly enthusiastic because he doesn't come with a lot of hype. He doesn't come with... Uh, you know, having discovered uh, Erling Haaland or Nkunku or, you know, these guys from from the Red Bull group or one or two players that everyone else has overlooked and they're now they're superstars. He hasn't really done that. He hasn't really worked that way. And because his persona isn't like one of those younger, uh, very slick, very clever, very German, uh, but very English proficient sporting directors, people perhaps don't get as excited about him. But I think, once again, we should maybe trust Klopp a little bit with his judgment um, that he will find somebody can do the job pretty well. He's not always, of course, right, and he makes plenty of mistakes, as everyone else does. But I think in this position, Klopp obviously feels sufficiently convinced by Schmatke's personality and his qualities that he feels he can do a job, at least at the moment. Whether this is going to be a long-term solution we don't know, and maybe they both of them don't know either at this point. But for somebody to come in and just help them get a few things done and over the line, they can probably do a lot worse than a really experienced operator like him. Yeah, what, what's the mood, what's the feeling in Germany about Klopp after this season? Because obviously it's been a disappointing season overall. It might turn out great at the end if they get into the Champions League, which we've discussed that earlier. And you know, we we don't have the greatest hopes, but is it what what what's the perception of club season in Germany, Rafa? Well of course people have noticed that Liverpool are not as good as they were last year when they were fighting on all fronts and very nearly had a historic season with with a quadruple. As somebody like Didi Harman has been very vocal and very critical saying there's a spark missing and sort of he's he was kind of intimating that massive changes needed to happen. Maybe even Klopp himself had 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 outstayed his welcome. I don't think that is the general view. Uh, people watch from a distance and don't know the ins and outs. But I think most people in Germany, unless they're Schalke fans, still feel that the sun is shining from uh, from an opening of Klopp's body uh, most yes. of the time, and and feel that he is still you know the, the superstar of, of German coaching, maybe of German football at the moment, the most prominent, most revered figure on the, on the international stage. Certainly, he's probably the most prominent German coach in football. But I was going to ask you about... Maybe the uh, most prominent German in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, 
Yes, a national treasure, without a doubt. But I was going to ask you about someone who's um, considered was always considered a treasure on Merseyside. Well, our, our, our part of Merseyside, anyway. Xavi Alonso and uh, Leverkusen. They lost the first game since February on Friday night, and they they won't finish in the top four. But he played alongside Steven Gerrard, and uh, everyone looked at Steven and thought, well, you know, maybe once he went into management, he's the heir apparent to Klopp and, you know, eventually to come back to Liverpool. I've always thought Alonso was a more likely candidate to manage Liverpool. How's he getting on? He's getting on really well. As you said, then, probably won't qualify for the Champions League through the league position, but they are in the semi-finals of the Europa League, taking on Jose Mourinho's Roma. And if they make it to the final and win the final, then he's got a Champions League spot uh, from a team that were 17th when he took them over. Now, they were in a, in a false position because this is a team that finished in the top four last season and should be in the mix. So a bounce was inevitable. But still, he has been so impressive with the way he has taken a very difficult dressing room, uh, make them play as a unit. Uh, give them a, a tactical identity, although it's still sort of evolving. It used to be very defensive at the beginning. He used to sort out the defence, and now he's adding more and more elements of of football. And because of his, I think, fairly unique combination of traits, he was an incredible player and still is on the training pitch playing with the players and, and showing off a little bit. Um, <laughs> his charisma, his persona... The guy is so charismatic and, you know, when he's in a room, people kind of look up to him and just think, wow, you know, who's this guy? Um, but also his his background as a player for the best managers in the world. Um, one of the few people who've experienced really all the greats, you know, both Pep and Jose. And to think of that and the combination and all the influences that he, that he can uh, tap into, I think... He's got a superstar coach written all over him. And he was very, very smart because Leverkusen was exactly the kind of place where you have real quality and yes, there's a bit of pressure, but it's not the kind of place that go hysterical when you lose a couple of games and when you don't win anything in your first season. So again, really shrewd move to go there. And there's no wonder that after less than a full season in charge, he's already being mentioned as a possible candidate for really great things. I think he'll stay one more year at Leverkusen. But then I think we'll see him in the mix. Real Madrid, uh, Bayern Munich, if they need a manager at that time, which I don't think they will, he'll be in hot demand uh, because he's got, yeah, he's got all these these things that I just talked about. Plus the international background. You know, he can speak English, he can speak Spanish, he can speak German. He's got it all really. You've just shot down my hopes. I thought he'd be eventually a Liverpool manager, but you know, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, James, he's he, he's he's got. He's going on to bigger things than us, really, isn't he? By the looks of it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, 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 I hope he does end up managing in the Premier League. I'm sure he'll. I'm sure they'll have offers with the with the body of work that he's putting together, and I think he's been quite clever as well with the way that the, the kind of the way he's embarked on his his journey into coaching, and obviously saucier dad B wasn't it initially, and as Rafa said, you know, picking you know Leverkusen, where you know not too much glare and, and scrutiny and continuing his kind of progression into coaching there. And I think he was always, when you, when you when you meet players during their careers, you kind of get a feel, don't you, for who who is likely to make that switch into coaching. Mm. And I remember when I was working at the Liverpool Echo, going across to, to Munich and, and having an, an hour with him doing an interview. And uh, yeah, just such an intelligent, thoughtful guy. 
and it, you know when you marry that with as Rafa said when you look at the the, the the managers that he's played under everything he will have learned from that you know played for the the biggest clubs in the world won the biggest trophies yeah you you just thought yeah this this guy has got future manager written all over him and um he certainly started off pretty well yeah, I mean, when you talk to people around the club, when when uh, Steven Gerrard was winning at Rangers, everyone was going, well, yeah, yeah, people, yeah, it's brilliant, we're made up for him, I didn't really see it coming. But, you know, when you talked about Alonso, everyone's like, yeah, 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 we knew, we knew this was coming. Anyway, Rafa, thank you for joining us today. I think when it comes to national treasures, you're the second most important German <laughs> Behind Jürgen, of course. Well, we love you. Come back anytime, please. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Rafa. Cheers. This is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 100 Anfield goals for Mohamed Salah. This is Walk On from The Athletic with me, Tony Evans and James Pearce. Well, James, I think we've got to have a bit of a love fest for Salah, haven't we? That's, <laughs> I mean, he's just, what can you say about him? Well, I mean, the, the numbers are just incredible, aren't they? Like I, when, I, when I sat down yesterday morning and wrote wrote the piece about him that's that's gone up on the athletic today and you i think i think there is a danger you almost take him for granted and kind of and it when you when you, it's only when you go back through all the numbers you think this is ridiculous this is absolutely ridiculous this guy is like it feels like every week there's another salah related record that's been broken and you think you know just on just on on saturday alone you went you know first player in liverpool's history was 131 years. No one's ever scored in nine successive home games for Liverpool. You know, moving level with Steven Gerrard on 186 goals, joint fifth highest. You know, he's played 400 fewer games than Steven Gerrard. You know, you you know, you know, 30 plus goals again in a season when he's been been part of a massively malfunctioning team. Yet he's, he's gone on this amazing run in the second half of the season, and and we're talking about someone getting 30 goals again. I think you know what's he the the fourth Liverpool player ever to do that in three successive seasons after, you know, Rush, Hunt and Fowler, you know, not, not the worst company to be, to be mentioned in. And then, I mean, the, the other thing that I think goes under the radar far too much is just is extraordinary durability. He, he just doesn't miss games, does he? I think he's, he sat out 120 minutes of the Premier League season so far. And that's like four times he's been hauled off you know, given a breather late on in games, 
There was a game at Chelsea where he, he was rested and then brought off the bench. And apart from that, every single minute he's been out there. And when you think of the rough treatment he gets, um, I think from defenders and referees, to be honest, in terms of the lack of protection and the lack of free kicks. I mean, there's a, there's a crazy stat. That I think there's 55 to 60 players in the Premier League who have had more free kicks awarded their way this season. But he's, yeah, I mean, what was it 225 Premier League games? I, I checked that Liverpool have played since he arrived from Roma and he's played in 215 of them, you know, 96%, which, yeah. you know, these, these are just, this is on a whole nother level. And, you know, that, that quality combined with this like amazing durability, you know, it's, it's testament to how he leads his life. Klopp said it himself on the weekend. He, he's a machine. He's just a phenomenon, isn't he? Um, what are your favourite goals? Favourite goals is Anfield. It, yeah, do you know what? There's been so many to pick from. And I mean, the, the one against Manchester City was was really special. The the, the kind of the, the close control and, you know, the, and, the, and the, 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 the clinical finish past Edison from tight, such a tight angle. But for, for me, it's the Chelsea one. Salah! That that pile driver when he cut in cutting off the right flank and I think probably also because where we where we sit in the press box at Anfield we were right behind it and it was one of them one of them incredible moments where like the second it left his boot you were like that that is going straight into the top corner more you know more often you think of the iconic Salah goals being dribbles and and, and cute finishes but yeah that that's that Chelsea one for me is my personal favourite. Yeah, I mean, I I like the one where he wriggled through the city defence. He's done it again, Mo Salah. Still Salah. Oh! It reminds me of Dalglish in 78 against United in the semi-final of the FA Cup. Uh, and just um, just fantastic, I love that. But the, 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 the other thing I don't think he gets enough credit for, James, is... The goals he sets up for other people, and I mean, I'm always a bit wary of the assist thing, you know. Which, uh, you know, the, the the final pass to a play before he scores. Sometimes movement and running off the ball creates the space for them to score. But Salah, Salah just helps open up defenses for everyone else so often, doesn't he? Yeah, and I, and I think that's. That's an element of his game that's developed massively over the course of his six years at Liverpool as well, because um, you know you, there have been times, haven't there, where where he's you know, he's he's been accused of you know of backing himself too much at times and being you know strikers obviously always get accused of being greedy, don't they? But you know, which is crazy in itself because you <laughs> which which prolific goal scorer isn't greedy? You know that that's obviously got to be a pretty key part of your mindset to have that hunger to keep wanting to, to score time and time again. But it's, it, it's about decision-making as well. And he's got this, he's got this incredible ability to see that, you know, get a very clear picture in his mind. And more often than not, he does pick, pick the right option. And you're right. You know, it's, I think he's got 69 assists for Liverpool on top of those 186 goals, you know, 11 assists in all competitions this season. So it's, yeah, they're just, they're just crazy numbers. And you're right. It's not just the assists. It's also, you know, how often do we see him make a really intelligent run that then opens up space for Trent on that side or for, for Jordan Henderson? Obviously, he was a key part of those kind of triangles that they, they play on that, that right flank. So, um, yeah, he's just, he's just a complete footballer, isn't he? Yeah. I, 
I can't help feeling, and you know, we always say this, that he's he's still underrated. <laughs> it's people don't give him the credit he deserves. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think you know Van Dijk and Klopp both touched upon that after the game against Brentford on Saturday. That um, the, the, you know, it's almost. Oh, I think that they, they they were both right in terms of saying that. I think maybe it's only after he's retired that people will think, "Oh my God, you know, wow." It, it, you know, it gives you that perspective because I don't think I, I'd be absolutely amazed in my lifetime if I see someone again do what he's done to score at the rate he has done year after year after year. You know, to have 186 goals in in just under six seasons. You know, that's they they are just stupid numbers. You know, I think his what was his his worst season for Liverpool was 23 goals, which is the kind of season at the top level most elite attackers you know. Premier League attackers can only dream of scoring that many. So yeah, I don't I don't think he gets the the wider credit that he that he merits. You know, maybe there's a tinge of be you know, unfortunate that a lot of his best years have still been around the kind of Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe era in terms of you know, there's probably been moments when he's looked like he was gonna break into that that kind of wider conversation in terms of, you know, Ballon d'Ors and and those kind of elite accolades. Um it hasn't quite happened, but no one's in any doubt at Anfield, are they? And I think he feels that love. And there was a nice quote from him after the game on Saturday, which said, you know, I'm just so happy here. It, it feels feels like home. It makes you wonder as well, like how high he can actually go. Because when you look at the names above him in that all-time scorers list for Liverpool, you know, you, you, know, you wouldn't back against him going past Billy Little. I think he's 42 goals behind him. You know, Gordon Hodgson's, you know, 13 further down the road going to get past Little and Hodgson in the next two years. I think there's a good chance of that. And we'll be talking about when Salah does eventually walk away from Liverpool. You know, he'll be third on the all-time list behind Rush and Roger Hunt. And I and I do think that if he maintains the standards he's set and there's certainly no sign of him slowing down, he will be part of the conversation in terms of Liverpool's greatest ever player. You you rank greatness, don't you, based on like longevity, loyalty and and glory, essentially. And he certainly ticks all those boxes. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, what'd be ideal is for him to go past the two of them next season and get some more glory. That would suit me. That'd be fine. And, you know, I'd be willing to hail him as the greatest ever. Anyway, that's all from Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James, Andy and Rafa, as well as you for joining us. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll see you then. The Athletic.